Welcome to a Why Is This News edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your SB Nation blog covering all things Ohio State Athletics 24-7-365. I'm one of the site's managing editors, Matt Tamanini, and I am joined today by one of our contributors and editor emeritus, the lovely Buckeye herself, Bleeding Green Nations, Alexis Chasen. Alexis, welcome. Uh, how's everything going over at BGN now that the season started? Pretty good. I mean, we started 1-0, so, I mean, it was sloppy, but... 1-0 works. Not quite the same exciting uh, start that OSU had in terms of offensive performance. Eh, a win's a win in the NFL. That's all that really matters. Exactly. Well, we are getting into an exciting weekend for the Ohio State Buckeyes as they face their first major test of the 2018 football season as they travel down deep in the heart of Texas to take on the number 15 ranked TCU Horn Frogs. We're going to talk all about that here in just a second. But Alexis, I wanted to start today's episode was something that I felt because it happened right at the beginning of the of the football season didn't get enough attention from Ohio State fans. And that is that one of simply the best basketball players to ever come through Ohio State, Katie Smith, went into the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, this isn't the Ohio State Hall of Fame. This isn't a WNBA Hall of Fame. This isn't uh, even just, uh, you know, a Women's Hall of Fame. This is the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, and Katie Smith could not be more deserving. Alexis, I am a certain number of years older than you, so I grew up a little bit more in the heyday of Katie Smith's reign as a Buckeye first and then going into the ABL, which was kind of a rival precursor league to the WNBA. But she is such an important figure in my mind as a as an Ohio State basketball fan. She's up there with Jim Jackson, who was just a, a few years before her, maybe even overlapped a year or two. But she is incredible. She still ranks third in Ohio State women's all-time scoring list. But some of the things that she's done, she was a seven-time WNBA All-Star. She won a WNBA title in Detroit. She also won twice in the ABL with the Columbus Quest. She has three Olympic gold medals. She is the highest-scoring women's professional basketball player of all time. She has a WNBA Finals MVP. It's just incredible what she's accomplished in her career. Throw in two FIBA World Championships on top of the Olympic gold medals. She is now currently the head coach of the New York Liberty in the WNBA and former Nick and Ohio State basketball player Herb Williams is actually one of her assistants. But I'm like the stuff that she's done in her career, I feel like because she hasn't been in Columbus for a while, we forget how important she is and how great she was. But Katie Smith deservingly went into the Hall of Fame and I feel like Buckeye Nation should have been more on board with this. But we were kind of busy with football. Yeah, it was slightly overlooked, but I love this news. I mean, she's definitely so deserving, like you said. And I mean, that list of accomplishments, it's not just impressive for a woman. It's just impressive in general for any athlete. And, you know, her Hall of Fame speech was just incredible. And she's just such a good representation of Buckeye Nation. And she's still contributing as a coach. And it's just good to see good things happen to good people. And it couldn't be better for Katie Smith. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. She was a Buckeye from 1992 to 96, and then five years after her playing career in Columbus ended, the Ohio State Athletic Department made her the first female student athlete in school history to have her number retired. Uh, just incredible. I, Like I said, I getting chills talking about it. I 
teared up while I was writing the article because, like I said, for me, until I got to like, you know, late high school into college, Jimmy Jackson and Katie Smith were Ohio State basketball to me. Those were the the icons. So she was a big part of my childhood. And because the ABL was birthed at the time right when she was a star and in Columbus, we got a lot of that at the time. So I was very, very pleased that we got to follow along with her career as much as we did. And and I hope that people get a chance to check out her, her Hall of Fame speech. We have it on the site. I'll put a link uh, in the article for this on Land Grant Holy Land if you want to check out her speech. It was great. Uh, she went in with a bunch of other really famous people, but the only one I really cared about was Katie. So. <laughs> All right. So, Alexis, let's get into this football game. Um, Colton and Patrick had a whole preview episode where they broke things down. They got a little crazy, as those two guys often can. I love them. They're so fun. They're the best. Um, we <laughs> we cannot and will not do what they do. Um, we are not those people. <laughs> but instead, right. they have a, a sense of humor all their own, and they're youngins. I mean, we're a little older than they yeah, are we're the so. old folk at land grant yeah and i'm older than you but anyway um but i do want to talk about some of the the things that they didn't really cover in depth one thing is that espn's college game day will kind of be at the game but kind of not as most people know by now the game is taking place at at&t stadium in arlington texas also known as jerry's world that game will kick off at 8 p.m and it'll air on abc however Game day will not be at Jerry's World. Instead, it'll be on TCU's campus, about 30 minutes, 22 miles away in Fort Worth. Herbie, that guy from Michigan, I can never remember his name because I don't care and he doesn't exist in my world. Lee Corso, Reese Davis, Maria Taylor, all those folks, David Pollock, they'll all be on TCU's campus. So that's fun. I'm not exactly sure why WWE wrestler Roman Reigns is going to be the guest picker for this, but they seem to be kind of going away from guest pickers that have any connection to the school anymore. So I don't know what that's all about. But uh, anyway, um, always good when game day is at an Ohio State game. I'm a little nervous about them doing a ton of in-depth stuff about Urban Meyer and Zach Smith. Hopefully they won't do that because really so far this season, Alexis, we really haven't had to put up with that a ton once the games got started. It's really quieted down quite a bit and it's just focus on football. But I feel like it's a little weird that they would have it on TCU's campus instead of outside Jerry's world somewhere. I think that was a bit of a calculated move. I don't know that it was a good one because you would also assume all those students would be at tailgating like 22 miles away. Yeah, but so, I mean, game day starts at what, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. Eastern time? And like, that's a good 10, 11 hours, whatever it is, before kickoff. And it might not be responsible to have people tailgating and getting their kegs and eggs on that far in advance before a nationally televised game. Why are you always poking holes in my theories? <laughs> I just I just trying to see it from the other side. <laughs> That's completely fair and level-headed and you're probably right. But it is interesting because even though this game is so close to TCU's campus, a lot of what the talk has been for Ohio State has been how this is a venue that they know pretty well. Maybe not all of the players, but many of the coaches. Ohio State obviously won the first college football playoff national championship in that venue in 2015 against Oregon. Then more recently, because none of those players um, are still on this team, but last year, the final game of the 2017 season in the New Year's Six Cotton Bowl against USC, it was still technically at the end of 2017, 
they won there too. So this is not a venue, even though it's not a home venue. Technically, it's not a road venue either. It's a neutral site game, but who are we kidding? It's a home game for TCU. Those players, a lot of those players, almost all of these coaches are very familiar with this stadium. They know how to get around. They're comfortable there. I wouldn't call it a home game, but you could tell how comfortable Ohio State's team was when they put out their hype video yesterday and all of the young players were talking about what happened in that venue at the national championship game. Then they said, yeah, we weren't there, but it's it's time for our moment. So they're going in there looking to add to the legacy of what the Ohio State teams in the past have done inside of AT&T Stadium. Well, yeah, and let's not also forget that Buckeye Nation travels extremely well. Mm-hmm. So you know there's going to be a good number of red jerseys there on Saturday. And I will say it was hilarious, though, when they dropped the hype video because I think Sean Nuremberger was like still on the team, you know, he's been here forever. And Cam Johnston retweeted the hype video and called him grandfather Nuremberger, who's saying back in my day when we played in the national (laughs) championship. Oh, and it was fun. Speaking of specialists, uh, Alexis, trivia question for you here. Do you know who the first person was to ever kick a ball to hit the giant jumbotron in the middle of AT&T Stadium? Was it David Akers? It it was not. It was <laughs> it was former Ohio State punter and Pickerington Central punter and quarterback AJ Trapasso, who did it in a preseason game where he punted it. It hit the bottom of the the jumbotron. They had to institute a rule that it would be a rekick anytime that happened in the future. So I actually do remember that. Yeah, Pickerington and Ohio State they are leading the charge and getting rules changed in the NFL. So. For the Ohio State team, they're looking back in a positive way at the 2014 season going into the 2014-2015 college football playoff. TCU, on the other hand, seems to be using that as a bit of motivation to get themselves ready. Because as most people here will remember, TCU and Baylor were ahead of Ohio State going into the final playoff rankings. And because Ohio State beat the ever-living tar out of Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game 59 to nothing behind the arm of 12-gauge Cardell Jones, they jumped those two because at that time they did not have a Big 12 championship game into the fourth spot. Obviously, then they beat Alabama, beat Oregon, won the national championship. TCU, Baylor, and the Big 12 still to this day think that they were done wrong by that first ranking, uh, or that first year of rankings going into the playoffs. So they are using it as a bit of motivation over our friends over at Frogs O' War, which is the, (laughs) that's a great name, uh, the TCU blog here at SB Nation. They talk about they're taking it one game at a time, they're focusing on all the right things, but you know Gary Patterson is using that as motivation. He's said as much throughout the week without trying to make it too big of a deal, but As we've talked about before, coaches are always trying to find whatever bit of motivation that they can get, even if it's real or imagined, to get their players hyped for especially in a big game like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, nothing is better than some bulletin board material. But like you said, I mean, it's the same sort of thing with Ohio State. Not a lot of the same players are going to be there. So, like, of course, it matters in terms of the university. But, you know, does it really light as much of a personal fire as it would of maybe two years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. The the players that were on the team for TCU are gone, not likely to have a ton of impact directly, but anytime you can get something, you know, you, you, you do whatever you can to get amped up for a big game. Oh, absolutely. 
All right, Alexis, we are going to make our predictions at the end of the show for this game. So put your thinking cap on. I want a good uh, I want a good one from you. But we are going to move. We're going to stay in kind of Jerry's world's arena uh, because we're going to talk about the NFL. And because we've had the first week of NFL action, you are now the assistant producer at Bleeding Green Nation. I still don't know what exactly that means. So you've got your finger even more on the pulse of the National Football League than you already did. So tell us what Ohio State related stuff happened during the first week of the NFL season. Well, there were a lot of roster moves. Um, Jonathan Hankins finally signed. Finally. Uh, finally. I've been writing about that since, what, April? I can't believe that he was on the market for so long. But he reportedly signed with the Oakland Raiders for a one-year deal, uh, which will work out because Hankins always wanted a long-term deal. But with his uh, injury history and stuff, I don't think he was going to get that. And then Braxton Miller signed with the Eagles practice squad, which I'm super into. And bad news, Michael Bennett was cut by the Jaguars and Adolphus Washington was cut by the Bills. But those were also two not very surprising cuts. Bennett hasn't played really much at all in his three years. And Adolphus Washington was a bit up and down. And then when the new coaching staff came in, kind of fell down the depth chart a bit. But some rookies had some really good debuts. Denzel Ward had two interceptions for the Browns' tied game against the Steelers. Just painful Absolute to watch. morons. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, Sam Hubbard was used at tight end for a play for the Bengals, which was just kind of interesting. Was it, was it tight end or was it fullback? I think he came in and he was like a lead blocker, wasn't he? Yeah, I think it was like a four. They were using a four tight end set. I'm not really okay, sure, I guess. Okay, came in motion or something. Yeah, but it was just interesting. I think you... You posted something about how that's not surprising given, you know, he played lacrosse and tight end a little in high school. <laughs> hey, did you know that he played lacrosse and almost went to Notre Dame until uh, Urban Meyer saw him in an open gym? I hadn't heard that story before. Crazy, huh? No, I've never seen like 3,000 articles about it either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Jerome Baker looked really good for the Dolphins, too. So they're really excited to have him. Yeah. And speaking of, of linebackers on Monday night, you know. Darren Lee just going out there, uh, showing out like a stud for the uh, the New York Jets, 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 having two interceptions to go along with six tackles. Like, did you watch that game? Uh, on and off, yeah. I was I was working, you know, throughout it. But he had a pick six. The Lions are for some reason my brother roots for the Lions. I, I don't know why we allow him to stay in the family when he roots for something from <laughs> Michigan. But he was a Barry Sanders fan, so I guess that's probably the only way. Him or Chris Spielman um, are the only reasons you're allowed to root for for anything Michigan related. But it was a weird, weird game. It was, but my favorite part I think was Darren Lee's first interception, the one that went for the pick six. Um, you see Taylor Decker trying to chase him into the end zone. And I didn't realize that. He had a little Buckeye on Buckeye action, but it's really just Taylor Decker, who's huge and, you know, quick, but maybe not fast. Yeah, not the same. And Darren Lee, who's like, you know, one of the smaller linebackers, but so fast. And it was just like so clearly outmatched, but it was hilarious. And it gave you a little Buckeye, Buckeye reminiscent times. Yeah. But another Buckeye who had, and not a rookie, because you talked about some rookies, but a Buckeye who had an incredible game and... You know, people are starting to talk about him maybe someday being the next big go-to receiver in the NFL. I'm I'm sorry, but Michael Thomas is already one of the biggest wide receivers in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. And I think Drew Brees would agree with you, and he would have agreed with you his rookie season, like two years ago. Mm -hmm. He 
has the most receptions in his first two seasons, I think, than anyone in NFL history. And I think that's just going to continue through year three. Yeah, he had in in week one, he had 16 receptions for 180 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 11.2 yards per catch. Um, he's a stud. And, you know, I, I've written a little bit this week because as we're starting to get into, to, you know, better competition for Ohio State, um, as I did a Q&A for Frogs of War, the inevitable comparisons have to happen between Dwayne Haskins and Cardale Jones, just because they're really for the past 20 years, the only quarterbacks that were throw first guys. However, there is a significant difference between the skill set of Cardale Jones and Dwayne Haskins. They both have monster arms. But if you go back and look at what Cardale Jones did, especially in those three postseason games that he had after JT Barrett was hurt, Cardale showed off his arm. He Dude can sling it. But more times than not, those deep completions he had were mainly because Michael Thomas and Devin Smith were incredible athletes and college-wide receivers and could go up and get 50-50 balls or even 40-60 balls when it was in the other direction and turn them into receptions. After those two guys left and Cardale was the starter at the beginning of the 2015 season before JT Barrett took over, he didn't have those type of wide receivers. So while he was still trying to throw it up deep and hoping and praying that somebody with a scarlet or white jersey was going to come down with it, it didn't happen as much because those receivers weren't there. At that point, Michael Thomas was already doing it, like you said, as a rookie for Drew Brees. And, you know, fortunately for Buckeye fans now, I don't think Dwayne Haskins is nearly just the chuck it and hope guy. He has plenty of accuracy, which I've written about this week. But it it really goes to show just how big and important a receiver Michael Thomas has been, not only for the Saints, but for the Buckeyes as well in that national championship run. Definitely. And I was actually talking about Dwayne Haskins, you know, comparing him to Cardell Jones earlier today. And it's interesting because I think somebody had asked me if I thought Dwayne Haskins was going to leave after this year and go to the NFL. Uh, and yep. Certain, yep. And but I think he really should not because nope. he Disagree. could he could learn under Ryan Day and stay for one more year and then he could be a starter in the NFL. But I think they do have different skill sets, but I think Cardale Jones, you know, jumped a little too quick too. He should have. It's a, it's a little, it's a little different because Cardale w- would not have been the starter at Ohio State. But look, I think it would be very odd if Dwayne Haskins came back next year after he wins the Heisman Trophy, uh, because <laughs> he he has shown in these two games. And again, we are prefacing all of this by saying it's Oregon State and Rutgers, but. Right. He's shown not only a great arm, he's shown not only incredible accuracy, but he has made almost every single right decision other than that interception in the red zone against Oregon State. Every decision he's made has been almost perfect. And of course, that's not going to be completely the same as you start getting into more competitive games. But look, I'm maybe being a little bit sarcastic in saying that he's going to win the Heisman Trophy, but I've been tweeting about it and writing about it from for Lane Grant. I I think he's a legitimate Heisman candidate. I think he is legitimately, potentially, the first quarterback taken in the draft this year. And I will be shocked if he's not a first-round draft pick. I feel like, I mean, all that sounds good, and it could all very well happen. It wouldn't surprise me, any of that. Him winning the Heisman, if he continues to play like this, wouldn't surprise me. Him being one of the first quarterbacks taken in the draft wouldn't surprise me. But I think he needs a little more development 
Um, I just, I'm hard pressed to think that, you know, a quarterback can play one year in college and is ready for the NFL and being a starter. Like, sure, you can come on as like a number three guy. You can sit on the practice squad. You can bounce around a little bit. But, you know, those guys who are, you know, the Sam Darnolds of the world, which ugh, I can't compare it to him. I mean, he wasn't good in college. But Not against Ohio State. <laughs> but, you know, I think he could just really benefit from another year. But don't get me wrong. That's what I mean. I could see all those things you said happening and it wouldn't surprise me. I just personally think he would benefit from that extra year. And I don't want to lose him. Selfish. Yeah, that's selfish. You, that's really all you're saying is I don't want you to leave Ohio State <laughs> unless you get signed by the Eagles. But uh, anyway, you've got Wentz. But but you know, but real quick as we wrap this up, here's the thing. I, you know that I'm probably one of the least homerish people uh, at LGHL. I I'm just not built that way. I yeah. worked I worked for the Big Ten, so that kind of got not that I have I've lost my Ohio State fandom, but I've been able to kind of see from the big picture, take the fandom out of it. I just have been utterly and completely shocked and dumbfounded by how good Dwayne Haskins has been so far this year. And not just because he's been playing against terrible competition, but it's about the decisions. You can still make bad decisions and look good against bad competition because you're just better. You're just physically more gifted. But he's been making the right calls in almost every situation. And that's what's been the most impressive to me. The fact that he's you know, throwing the bar ball 50, 60 yards down the field and completing these passes. Awesome. But the fact that he's showing that he can be a decision maker, even under pressure is why I think he's a really special quarterback. And I think why this season is going to be even more special than I initially thought. I think we should have this conversation again in early November. Well, considering we're going to be doing this podcast every Friday, I think that's probably very likely to happen. <laughs> All right, real quick before we get our predictions and get out of here, Alexis, there is a ton of sports going on uh, for Ohio State teams, both in Columbus and across the country. First up tonight, or this afternoon at 4 p.m., the field hockey team will be hosting Penn State, so check that out. The women's volleyball team will be playing in a tournament in Dayton against Evansville at 3 p.m., and then uh, women's soccer will also be playing today at 6 p.m. They will, like the field hockey team, be playing Penn State. But this time, it'll be in Happy Valley. The men's cross-country team will be participating in the Commodore Classic uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. That's hosted by Vanderbilt. Uh, the women's team will also be there. They will both be running on Saturday morning, the men at 10, the women at 11. Women's volleyball will then play still in Dayton, Tennessee on Saturday at 10.30 a.m. And then to wrap it up, the women's uh, volleyball team will have their third match of the weekend. This one will be against the host Dayton Flyers at 7 p.m. So lots of stuff going on, Alexis. Of course, sandwiched in between all of that uh, will be all of the lead up and all of the excitement and then the game for the football team kicking off against TCU at 8 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. All right, so we've done fairly well with our predictions so far this season. Again, not great competition, so it wasn't all that hard. However, this game, much more close, top 15 opponent, really good storied history, very defensive-minded head coach in Gary Patterson. Alexis, what do you think happens between Ohio State and TCU? Well, I feel like that was a pretty big lead up to me then saying. <laughs> I know what your prediction is, so I uh, set the table there. 
63 to 28. What? The, holy hell, Alexis. 63 just, points. They're going to score 11 more points against TCU's defense than they did against Rutgers is what you're telling me. Yes, it's inside and not going to be pouring rain. Holy and hell. I, like, I know TCU is like a really fast offense, but our defensive line is the best. The best there ever was, the best there ever will be, I'm convinced. It's the it Bret Hart of the defensive best. lines. <laughs> I just think, you know, they'll get by a couple of times, you know, and they'll get 28 points or so, but the Buckeyes still just knock it out of the park. I don't know. I can't see them slowing down, and they're starting to get that part where they get, like, the swagger, and there's just no stopping them. 63. 63 to 28. Holy yes. hell. I hope you're right. I really, really hope you're right. Um Okay, I'm going to go with something a little more uh, safe. Realistic. Realistic. You can use the word realistic. Possible. It's fine. Not insane. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go with Ohio State 41, TCU 24. Uh, I think I initially wanted to go 17 for TCU, but I felt like that might have been a little homerism creeping in because I do think, like you said, they've got a very uh, quick offense. They have a running quarterback who – has a really strong arm and is a really good passer, but he is is not as refined as you would like to see from a dual-threat quarterback. So I think if he's able to get to outside of the pocket, he might exploit some of those issues that we've seen from the Ohio State linebackers and even the secondary, although the secondary uh, was much stronger against Rutgers now that Jordan Fuller's back. But I think if they're able to get the ball out quickly, avoid having to deal with the rush from Nick Bosa and Chase Young and Draymond Jones and Big Bob Landers. If they just get it out quickly, get their skill position players in space, I think they can ex- exploit some of the, let's just say, underwhelming aspects of the linebackers. So I'm going to go 41-24. I hope your score is, is more right than mine is. Uh, unless mine's exactly right, then I'll just brag about that forever. Um, but I just want to be right once. All right, thank you for listening to Hangout in the Holy Land. You can find all episodes of the podcast on LandGrantHolyLand.com, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your daily dose of podcast goodness. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. You can follow Alexis at LovelyBuckeye. And you can follow the site at LandGrant33 on Twitter and at LandGrantHolyLand on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the uh, the game this weekend. If you are on the East Coast, get the hell out. Uh, you know, If you have time to evacuate and you haven't done it, please do so. It's not worth it. Also, if you are going to be in Dallas, Fort Worth area on Saturday, don't do anything stupid. Don't make the fandom look bad. Please. Please. Right, please. Uh, and of course, as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks. There, that was exciting. Yeah. What are you, the assistant producer up at, at the Bowling, Bowling Green Nation? Bowling Green. <laughs> <laughs>